I'd ask that you all would give me your patience today and attention. I am um, quite, <laughs> have quite the full heart, I guess you could say, this morning, and I, I hope that everything's done properly. When I asked for your attention, I said that because I, as is my custom, I guess, if you will, I, very early on I had a very wise pastor come tell me not to, be, not to try and be like another preacher, but to be what God wants you to be. And I am what I am, so you either like and follow along with what I have to say or, or not, but you'll notice I often will try and introduce a concept and then discuss it and then bring it back around. I think that's a helpful way to learn. And so today I ask you to pay attention to keep something in your mind, follow through, and then see how it connects at the end, please. With that, I'm going to go ahead and give you the title. I don't always tell you the titles. I usually title them. but My title is, We're Not All Right. We Are Not All Right. And with that title, if you'd like to turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 10. Luke, chapter 10, near the end of that chapter, in verse 38 is where we're be today. Luke, chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let me set the stage just for a minute. Very likely this is in a small village called Bethany, a few miles outside of Jerusalem, at least a few miles at the time. Bethany probably encompassed what we think of as the Mount of Olives. So there's a lot of action, biblical action, that went on in this small area. And in fact, that is the area that we saw his ascension. And if you remember, he said he'd be coming back in like fashion. So it could be that when he returns, he returns to this small, inconsequential area. We think that Martha was probably the older sister perhaps a widow, but seemingly to be in charge of the household. And her sister Mary, and of course her brother is Lazarus, who we'll talk about in a moment. We're not really sure if this is the first time she met Christ or not. We don't have any pre-setup to this. We don't know maybe they had met before, and so when he was coming to town, she invited him to her house, or if she met him or heard of him and invited him out of hand it's very likely that they had some level of status and wealth in the community, living the way that they did. Of course, 
She invited not only Christ, but his, at least at a minimum, 12 followers who were with him. There probably were more. And so the house that she had to provide was probably of such size that could accommodate 12, 15, 20 people, maybe more. And we'll also note that her sister, Mary, did something that was improper for the time. See, Christ was considered a rabbi, a holy person who was a teacher. And to sit at the feet of a rabbi and listen and learn like this was not something that women would have been allowed to do at the time in that culture. And so the very fact that she was sitting at his feet, listening, intently learning to him, showing a sign of reverence would have been a little bit scandalous, perhaps, at the time. And so that sets the stage of where they're at. Jesus is there with his disciples. Mary is sitting at his feet. He is teaching, expounding, no likely, about the kingdom of God is at hand. And this is where we pick up in verse 40. Now, the English Standard Version that I read says, But Martha was distracted with much serving. King James has a word that isn't as familiar to us, but I kind of like better. It says, cumbered. Or distracted is really how you would interpret that. So I looked up that word, and as I've told you, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I looked up that word using a Greek Bible, and here's some of the explanations for what it means to be cumbered or to be distracted. And I want to read this to you so that you can find yourself in the story. To be cumbered means to be driven about mentally. From one area to the next, driven about. Anybody ever feel like that? To be encumbered or to be distracted, it means to be distracted. It means to be, catch this, overoccupied and too busy about a thing. Anybody ever feel like that? Overoccupied and too busy about something. It also means to draw something around. So if we think about this as some type of burden, some type of something that's keeping us busy and distracted, it's not just this time and place. We're like taking it with us. We are drawing it around with us. Everywhere we go, we're we're taking this distraction, this encumberment with us, this burden, if you will, that we take it with us. And sometimes we pride ourselves on it, don't we? Something that I have realized in this is a couple of weeks in the process, this sermon today, is I'm almost ashamed of the number of times, and I've done it here, that people ask me how I am and what's my response. I'm busy. When did that become okay? When did it become something to be prideful of, almost in a sense, to stand up and say, when someone says, hey, how are you doing? They say, I'm just really busy. Is that a good thing? Is that healthy? Is that helpful for us? Other words for this, again, Encumbered, distracted, could be worried, could be burdened. But man, that overoccupied and too busy. That's what Martha was. She was so concerned, so distracted, so overoccupied that she even interrupted Jesus and then told him what to do. Now, again, let's just set this into context here, right? Jesus is, at the very minimum, considered a rabbi, 
And very likely they thought, because this is what everyone thought who was a true believer, he was going to be king of Israel. And he will be, but he wasn't then. Just make sure I make that clear. And she has the guts to walk up and interrupt his teaching, tell him something that he apparently didn't know, and then tell him what to do about it. Now, we all got a good chuckle out of this. But let me ask you a very serious question. Have you ever interrupted God, told him something you didn't think he knew, and then told him what to do about it? Hmm. Maybe we're not that different. Maybe we need to be more careful that we get so distracted, so overburdened, that we're carrying everything around with us, we're dragging it all along with us, we're so busy, that somehow we think God doesn't see what we're doing, and we're going to go tell Him what we need. In front of everybody at that. I'd say she was really upset. You don't just casually walk up and interrupt the next king of Israel to tell him, hey, get, tell my sister, get in the kitchen. <laughs> That's what she did. Now imagine how Christ could have responded. He could have berated her. He could have ignored her. He could have demeaned her. He could have put her in her place. He could have done any number of things for having been interrupted while teaching the truth of his kingdom. And what did he do instead? No, he responded with compassion, with love, and with earnestness by twice calling her name. Now, I have to be careful because you can read too much into Scripture. We don't know everything. But when I read this, I hear the most loving and caring voice possible saying, Martha, Martha. You see, he knew the condition of her heart. Regardless of her external, busy, frantic appearance, regardless of whether she was angry with her sister or bitter, Regardless of whatever her condition was, he saw right through to her heart. He knew exactly what was wrong, and he called her by name twice, Martha, Martha. And look at what he says to her. Verse 41, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Anxious. What do we know what that word means today, don't we? Anxiety. I really think it's a plague on our culture. And you know what is really bad? I think it's largely something we do to ourselves. We let anxiety overcome us. Now, don't get me wrong. If you feel anxious, if you have trouble with anxiety, I'm not necessarily blaming you other than to say that these are things that we take upon ourselves and we develop this anxiousness over almost everything in our lives. But don't worry, it was going on then too. 
So this is just a state of how things are. She was also troubled. And other translations say upset, distracted, bothered, or disquieted. So she was anxious and troubled about what? About a lot of things. Many things. It wasn't just one thing. And so you can look at this anxiousness, and this anxiousness, anxiousness is an inward concern. It's an inward worry, right? Now, you can see the effects of anxiousness on the outside, but it's really something that occurs inside of us. She was inwardly worried or anxious that everything would be just right. After all, she's hosting the next king of Israel. The man who can do amazing miracles. The most amazing rabbi ever to be seen. And all of his friends. And likely, I'll just assume here, some of the community too. Imagine if all of a sudden you knew, let's just make this a little more real for us today, the governor was going to come to your house. I bet you'd vacuum, wouldn't you? Might wash the windows. Might straighten up the pillows on the couches. Might make sure the food, you have enough food, make sure it's really good, tastes just right. When he arrives, you'd make sure he's, you know, never out of something to drink, show him where everything is. That's what's going on here. She's anxious internally because she wants to do well. I truly believe that. She wants to do well and what's right. But she's also troubled, she's upset, and she's distracted because of all of these outward preparations that she feels like she has to do. And then much things, all these details. She's so engrossed in the outward things that has to be done that she misses what? The good thing that's going on. So he says to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Verse 42, but one thing is necessary. Martha has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is necessary. There's really one thing to be concerned about. But you might ask, surely that can't be true. What about the cooking? What about the cleaning? Let me get real serious and take this a tad further. What about your dying relative? What about your mortgage? What about your schoolwork? What about raising your children? That's important. Those who are a little bit older, what about taking care of your parents as they get older? What about your unbelieving spouse? What about all the things at work that they tell you and they put on you or that you take on yourself? What about politics? What about the friendships and the struggles we have with our friendships? What about our health issues that we have? What about COVID? What about impending World War III, as it seems like? What about, what about, what about? 
All these things vie for our attention and they burden us down. And the next thing we know, we're carrying them around and we're anxious over them and we're worried and they take the place of the one most important thing. Everything can seem important. And if we don't put things in their proper place, in their proper context, everything swells to importance. One thing is necessary. Only one thing matters. Martha had chosen the good part. Now I want to pause here for just a minute and make something abundantly clear that I think we can back up with Scripture. Chosen the good part, or another translation says, chosen a good portion, or made the right choice, or chose better. This is not good in opposition to bad. When Joshua stood before the Hebrews and said, choose you this day who you will serve, that's either do it right or you're doing it wrong. I think from Scripture, we see that there is better. It doesn't mean that Martha was wrong for serving Christ. What was wrong was the worry and the anxiety. There is better. Not good in opposition to bad. In fact, the Amplified Version finishes this statement with an explanation that says, uh, she's chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage. It's to her advantage to love the Lord, to listen to what the Lord wants, to not carry around and be burdened and encumbered with all the anxiety and all the worries. It's to Mary's advantage. It's not Christ's advantage. Christ isn't any more glorified that one sister set at his feet than if two did. Remember, because Christ doesn't need anything from us because he is supreme above us. And whether no one worshiped him, it doesn't change his value. And so it's not about him. It's about what is our advantage. This is why the song we just listened to is a love song to us because Christ loves us. He doesn't want us to carry around these burdens and these anxieties and these worries. He wants us to put them off and to love him instead. That is the better thing. That is the first thing. That is what we should choose that is good. Because he loves us. Because he knows better than us. And that's why when a woman can walk up and interrupt him and say, tell my sister what to do, he doesn't get upset. With compassion and empathy and love, he says, Martha, Martha, your sister has chosen the better things and it will not be taken away. There were two good ways to serve and please the Lord. Mary chose the better way at that time and at that moment. This is the really hard part we have. Matthew 6, 33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. The first thing that we are to seek is the spiritual kingdom of God, and then everything else falls into place. And Christ tells us it won't be taken away. Now, you could read that very superficially and say that he's not going to tell Mary to leave. And that's very likely true. 
But let's think about this from a long-term perspective here real quick, okay? Martha's choice no longer exists. Do you think her carpet and floors are still there 2,000 years later? No. Do you think the curtains that she probably had dusted before Christ arrived are still there? Do you think anyone remembers how good the food was? Whether there was enough? Whether she ran out of something to drink? Whether the water tasted sweet? Whether the servants were doing what they were supposed to do? Does anyone remember anything that Martha did? No. It didn't last. It's gone. Now, I did find a picture of supposed ruins of her house. I don't know. So maybe there's some dust and stones sitting around. That's the only remnant of what Martha did. But what about Mary? 2,000 years later, we're reading about it right now. The spiritual thing that she got from Christ at that time is lasting forever. If you want something that lasts, don't focus on the physical Focus on the spiritual, and all these things will be added unto you. That's why it lasts. That's the difference. That's why he said it will not be taken. It's still there. Everything we do spiritually will last forever. And everything we do physically will vanish. It will not be taken away. Her spiritual work is present even today in the scriptures. Let me read you what one commentator said about this passage. Both were true-hearted disciples, but one was absorbed in the higher and the other in the lower of two ways of honoring their common Lord. Let me pause here just for a minute. We have a real issue with saying something's better, therefore it has to be the best and everything else is bad. There are levels. There are higher and lower. So when this author is saying higher and lower, he's not saying good and bad as in it's a dichotomy. He's saying better and best, okay? So let me start again. Both were true-hearted disciples, but one was absorbed in the higher and the other the lower of two ways of honoring their common Lord. Yet neither despised or would willingly neglect the other's occupation. The one represents the contemplative, the other the active style of Christian character. Here it comes. A church full of Marys would perhaps be a great as evil as a church full of Marthas. Both are needed, each to complement each other. When I was young, I couldn't see this story in any other way than, well, one's right and one's wrong. But the reality is this. At certain times and in certain places, there are things that we're supposed to do. While we keep and seek the kingdom of God first, there is time for us to do our physical, worldly labor. The things that we are on this earth to do, that we are given responsibility over. I have responsibility over my wife, over my children, over this church. And it is right and honorable for me to do those things and to take on that duty. But if I do that over my faith to my Lord, then I am wrong, you see. 
We are not all right. We are too busy. We are too anxious. We are too burdened. We are too worried. We are too distracted. We are too cumbered about with everything that goes on in this world. Don't get me wrong. When a tragedy strikes, there may indeed be things that are needful. But there's still only one thing that's necessary. And that's a difference. So let me ask you this. What happened to Martha? I hope you start observing when we have stories like this, accounts like this, that don't have an ending that we know of. I'll just read you the end. Martha, Martha, you were anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. That's it. Next chapter. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Complete scene change. Time change. What happened to Martha? You ever thought about it? Did she sit down? Did she argue back? Have you ever done that? Did she hold it against her sister? I think about that, right? You just got nicely but still told off in front of a crowd of people. And you were told, yeah, your sister's right and you're wrong. Did she grumble about it? And think to herself, get ready for this. Did she think to herself, Lord, don't you know how important this is? Lord, don't you know how long my to-do list is? Lord, don't you know how many people depend on me to do this thing? Or did she drop the anxiousness, the troubledness, and the pretense and take her place rightfully at the master's feet, going, you know what? Everything's going to work out. We don't know what happened that day. But good for us, we know what happened a few days later. Turn with me to John, chapter 11. John, chapter 11. Some period of time has passed since that occasion, and Lazarus... Their brother is sick. So they send a message to Jesus, come and help us. And Jesus delays four days. And Lazarus dies. Now, if in fact, uh, Martha, being the eldest, was unmarried, okay, as prominent as they might be, as wealthy as it seems like they might be, the death of the male in her family was not only an emotional tragedy, it was unbelievably bad culturally, right? Because there had to be a male to run the family. It's telling you how it worked then. And they could risk losing everything. So this was more than just a, my dear brothers passed away. This is potentially a tragedy that would end them as a family. They send to Christ. Christ is delayed. I won't get into all that today, but let me read John chapter 11, 
starting with verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Stop there for just a minute. So their brother dies, been dead for a while. And everybody comes to her house to console them. Don't you think there's a lot to do? Like cooking and cleaning and making sure there's enough, you know, toilet paper for everybody who's there. I'm serious. Think about all these people come to her house. And even though she's grieving, think about all the responsibility, all the stress, all the weight, all the anxiety that's laid on her saying, oh, what will I do? My brother, the man of the house is gone. What will happen to me? I'm grieving. I'm upset. I'm worried. I'm concerned about the future. I have to take care of everyone who's here. You'd think we'd find her back in the same spot, wouldn't you? But watch what happens. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, it wasn't there yet. When she heard he was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Think Martha learned her lesson? She left everything behind and went to what? The only one who could help in a time of crisis. She wasn't there trying to take donations. Wasn't there trying to manage everybody? She left her house and her family that was remaining behind, and she went to Jesus. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, is that a different Martha? That's a different Martha. That's a Martha who knows and understands that there's one thing that's better. And that's what? That's Jesus Christ. And she goes to him and said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that whatever you ask is right. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I don't think she understood because she said, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. It's one of the greatest I am statements there is. And then I bet with the same compassion And the same love and the same tenderness that he had weeks or months before, he looks her in the eyes and he asks the question of all questions. Do you believe this? And here comes a different Martha. And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. This is huge. This is more than just, yeah, I think you're going to be king someday. Yeah, this is more than just you're a good teacher. She said you are the son of God. And by doing so is submitting to him, you see. That's a different Martha. And then we see that all the people realize she's gone and they come running out to find him. And they go to the tomb and what happens? Lazarus is raised back to life. One more example of a changed Martha, because this is important. Flip a page or two to John 12. 
John 12, verse 1 and 2. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who was reclining with him at the table. Does she fall back into it? I don't think so. Because what we see is Mary, who takes an incredibly expensive perfume, anoints Christ's feet with him, so much so that the disciples were like, hey, we could have used that money. I don't think this is her falling back into it. I think this is Martha understanding that the first priority is what? That he is God, that he is the one who is coming into the world to save all humanity. And with that in mind, in the proper context, in the proper place, then she can serve. You see the difference? Rather than to run around with all this phonetic anxiety and activity, I have to do this and I have to do this and I have to do this. She had the first thing first. She had the first thing right. My God, my Savior. And establishing that, now I can serve you and your guests. Perhaps we can serve without being anxious, troubled, and distracted. If you learn to place Christ in the proper context, the answer is you can. It's not about never serving. It's not about serving too much. It's about putting Christ first. So let me say it again. We're not all right. We can't keep living the way that we are. I mean this very seriously. And I keep saying it, and I keep glancing around the room to make eye contact with you all. And if I had a mirror, I'd hold it up. I'm not all right. Because I worry too much. Because I do too much. Because I take on burdens that aren't mine. And because I don't put the first thing first. And because somehow in my mind I feel like I'm Martha. And I feel like, well, if I just do all this stuff that I'm doing it for God's glory, then isn't that good enough? It's not good enough and we're not all right. If we don't love our Lord and serve Him first and everything else gets added to us after. We are not all right. We have pulled in thousands of ways and thousands of directions each and every day. Some of them are vitally important. But there's one thing that's necessary, and it's better, and it's eternal. Matthew Henry commentary says, Whatever cares the providence of God casts upon us, we must not be cumbered with them, nor be disquieted and perplexed by them. Care and duty is good, but cumber is sin and folly. 
We all have things that we're called to do. We all have people that we're called to take care of. We all have work and school and other responsibilities that we have. Some of those things we should set aside, but many others we simply cannot. God has given us authority and care and duty in these areas, but we cannot let them supersede our love and faith in Him. It's putting the cart before the horse. Matthew 23 and 22, Christ is being very pointed. And he says here, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So he's telling the scribes and the Pharisees, look, you are so holy that you'll give a 10% of your herb garden. I don't know how you do that, but they did. Take a little bit, a little bit of our dill garden. I'll make sure I give that to God. But what they have done in the process of weighing them down with the anxiety and the care, doing the right thing, is that they've left the weightier, more important matters, justice, mercy, and love. And so I ask us today, have you left the weightier things of God for all the other things. Because Christ pointed out in Matthew 23, you should have tithed even the little things in life. You should have given your 10% back to God of even the smallest, most insignificant things, but you should not neglect the greater thing that you should be doing. Love, justice, and mercy. Are you driven about mentally? Are you distracted? Are you overoccupied? Are you too busy? Are you drawn around? Are you anxious? Are you troubled? Are you worried? Are you cumbered? Remember, there is a good, better part, which is to your advantage. See how this ties together? It's not like God gets any more glory if I'm better at this. It's for me. It's for my well-being that I am not these things. I am better off if I lay them aside or if I keep them in their proper place. And God knows that. And he came and he spoke directly into our lives by example, telling us, stop it. Because we're not okay. We can't carry this burden like this forever. We cannot keep going like this forever. We must choose that which is necessary, that which is eternal, that which is him first, and all the rest of these things will be added unto us as we need them. I want to close with a verse. Revelation 3.19, for those who take notes. Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. 
So be zealous and repent. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now, we don't know what happened to Martha the moment that Christ reproved her, which is what that was. It's not an accusation. It's not being mean. It's meant to improve her life for her own good. I don't know what her immediate response was. Like we said, we should have, she could have gotten mad at her sister. She could have run out of the room, either in guilt, feeling bad. She could have run out of the room in defiance. She could have fallen at his feet at that moment and had a change in perspective that was needed. Dropped the weights, dropped the things that encumbered her. But Christ looked inside her heart and pointed and said, here, here, and here. The point I am trying to make is the Holy Spirit, if you are saved, is alive and living inside of you. And if you will listen, will point to you and say, here, here, here. Stop. What will your response be? Will you be more focused on the food we're about to eat? Or about the thing that lasts? Will you be more focused on what will happen this afternoon? Maybe on the television? That trust me, in a thousand years, no one will remember. Or are you more worried about your own spiritual health now that lasts forever? I don't know what the Holy Spirit is reproving and disciplining you over, but I guarantee you, Something has come to your mind. And if it has, we should be zealous in repenting for it. Well, what do I have to repent for? Don't I have all these things you have to do? Yes, but the problem is we put them in the wrong order because we are not all right. And so as we have a hymn, as we have a time for us to pause and reflect, let us do what this verse says. If those of whom he loves, which is those of us who he's called, he is reproving and disciplining, then by all means, let us be zealous, purposeful. Let us push after and repent in the ways that we have put other things above him. We've chosen not the better path so that we can be Martha's later on. So that when the crisis comes and knocks on our door at 3 a.m., we go to who? We go running to him. When it looks like the world's completely fallen apart and we're going to lose everything, we've lost our siblings, we've lost whatever it is, that we go running to who? To him. That is the better choice that has eternal Meaning. And so let us be zealous. Let us repent of where we're at so that we can learn the lesson of Martha. So that we can love him first and the most and then serve him and others. Second. To do that today, I want us to sing 328. What a friend we have in Jesus. Is that right? 328? What a friend we have in Jesus.
all our griefs loves to bear. As we sing this hymn, sincerely, let the Lord speak to your life, speak to your soul, and be zealous in repenting so that you can be like Martha after her lesson. <laughs>